0: We were harvesting close to 500 kilograms per acre of clean coffee and the last four years our yields have dropped to between 250 to 300 kilograms for Robusta and close to about 175 to 200 kilograms for Arabica per acre.
1: Welcome back to the 5th Wave Podcast. I'm Geoffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of 5th Wave. In this third and final part of our series on the Indian coffee market, we're traveling to origin to explore what's happening in India's vast and dynamic coffee farm sector. Coffee was first introduced to India in the late 17th century during the heights of colonialism, and throughout the years has developed into a niche commercial industry serving the local population and modest volumes of commodity exports abroad. India is now the sixth largest coffee producer in the world. Today, the majority of Indian coffee is grown in the southern states of Karnataka, Kerala, and Tamil Nadu. And what we've learned so far is that coffee growing in India is on a path of exciting growth and moving towards greater volumes of higher-grade specialty coffee. So in this episode, we're speaking with Ashok and Rowan Kurian, Managing Director and Manager of Corporate Affairs, respectively, at Ballinor Plantations, an 1,100-acre estate on the hills of Karnataka outside Bangalore. A family-run business since 1937, Balinor Plantations are renowned growers of specialty Arabica and Robusta coffees, and also tea, pepper, and arica nuts, among a number of other natural products. In this conversation, Ashok and Rowan discuss the Indian consumers' growing thirst for knowledge and interest in the origin of homegrown coffees. And they share the social and economic environmental challenges that Indian coffee producers are currently navigating at a farm level. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Jeffrey. Could you tell us a little about the history of Ballinol Plantations?
0: This company was started by my family in 1937. Prior to that, Jeff, this was, it was a European company run by European planters. And during the Great Depression of the 1928, they found that they couldn't run it. And so they sold it to us and we bought it. Rohan happens to be the fifth generation planter in this business.
1: I wonder if you'd just give us a bit of a flavor for what's happening in the Indian coffee market at the moment.
0: From the roasters and the cafe side, it is booming. Yeah. I'm 70 years old. I've never seen it like this for the last 50 years, 50 to 60 years. Wow. They want special coffees. They want story behind it. And more than that, they put their wallet where their mouth is. Mm.
2: They're paying for it as much as any of our export coffees. I joined the industry in 2010. uh, And back there, uh, when you go to a cafe... You would sit with your friends and just want to spend time and waste time talking to your friends. You are not too bothered about what the coffee was or where it came from, what goes into the drink. Now, when you go to a cafe, the barista is so knowledgeable. It's like the baristas of Australia and, and the West. Uh, they know where the coffee comes from, what is the, the roast character, what are the flavor flavor notes, and the customers themselves really want to know more about the coffee, who the farmer is. I think that's just a phenomenal uh, move forward that, that has taken place in India. Mm. There is actual interest about where the coffee has come from. And what's happening at a farm level? Are more people growing
0: coffee as demand increases? In India, we come under, we're still a little bit under the socialist regime. Our lands are, are limited in use. All our plantation land comes under land ceiling. We can't expand our, our acreage uh, or it's difficult to convert from another crop into the plantation crops of tea, coffee, arachnid and cardamom. We come under land sealing. These plantation crops are exempt from land sealing. Next, most importantly, India is very, very strict on environmental issues. Forest lands are not permitted to be converted to any agricultural produce. It has to be maintained under the forest designation, and it comes under the government. No encroachment is allowed onto forest land. And so what are the implications for coffee farming in India because of all that? Acreage will be limited. It can only really expand if you convert other plantation crops into coffee. That is very difficult to convert. The cost of conversion is expensive. So the only way out for us is to produce more from the area we have. Mm -hmm. The the major problem that we face in India, unlike any other country in the world, and we can proudly say our coffees are all grown under shade. Mm -hmm. Absolutely environmentally friendly. It's shade-grown coffee. It is not by accident. The shade-grown coffee is by plan. We have a large number of
2: huge shade grown coffees india is in a very peculiar state right now costs are all shooting through the roof so it's getting harder to manage your coffee estate on a on a smaller scale which is why i think you will be noticing a lot more farms up for sale uh, coming down the line though prices are good right now in the in the international market for arabica and robustas but The exponential increase in cost of production is uh, just overtaking the the remunerative coffee prices right Mm -hmm. now.
0: Just to add a little bit to it, Jeffrey, it's it's nothing to do with uh, the per kilo price that people are paying. But if your yields in the farm keep dropping due to environmental reasons, uh, there's nothing you can do to cover that cost. We were harvesting close to 500 kilograms per acre of clean coffee. And the last four years, our yields have dropped to between 250 to 300 kilograms for Robusta and close to about 175 to 200 kilograms for Arabica per acre. If we get back to our normal production, the prices are good enough and our buyers, and due to our relationship with them, they're paying us enough price for us to survive and make money and develop. So it sounds like Getting the
1: productivity back and making more out of that farm is, is the key.
0: That's a challenge. And this is not a greenhouse product, Jeffrey. These are grown in the open. Mm. And what can you do if you get absolutely unseasonal rain? Our normal rainfall is about 120 inches in a year. And if you get 150 inches, you're gone. And coffee needs a little bit of wintering, which means it needs a little drought between in the months of November and December. But if you get rains in the month of November and December, then there's no stress and the next year's productivity comes down. So climate change
1: or unseasonable weather that seems to be more frequently is a really major concern for, for coffee farmers in India. Is that right?
2: The last three years, we have been battered with excessive rainfall and we got it from June all the way through our harvest period into the next blossom which is what my dad was saying. Coffee requires a little bit of stress. So the plant thinks it's going to die uh, and then sends out a lot more fruit for the next year. And we've been getting rain right through. Then to make things worse, last year we were praying that rains would stop. This year we got our prayers in plenty. We got hit by drought. We had no rainfall from January, uh, February, March, April. Uh, End of April, we got our first rain, uh, which was very, very scattered. So if it rained on our left hand, the right hand had sunshine. And uh, the temperatures as well, uh, Jeffrey, we we are on a hill. We are not used to very high temperatures. And this year, we recorded temperatures of 38 and 39 degrees. Wow. I mean,
1: the the force of nature is obviously something that is is almost impossible to defeat. But is
0: there anything that coffee farmers in India are, are moving towards? We were looking at being sustainable to get the rains in time. We needed to get blossom showers in, in February and March. So our entire focus was on holding rainwater, building dams, so that even if the rains failed, we had our irrigation in place. Mm-hmm. But, but we, ne- we never never ever planned to have a surplus of water. You know, there's nothing that we can do on any one of those. Mm. We, are, we are bringing in better varietals in. Mostly to do with the quality of coffee and
2: also the yields that we can get. Mm. I think Coffee Board is also doing a lot of uh, research with the world of coffee. Uh, they have experimental blocks where they are trying out different varietals from all over the world to see uh, you know, drought-resistant, pest-resistant varieties, yep. uh, how it would yep. fare in Indian climatic conditions. But again, you know... Uh, experiments on plants and seeds will take a long time because it might do well in one year and then the next year may not do too well. So the overall time period that they take for uh, an experiment would be anywhere between five to ten years of it
1: bearing fruit in the field. Yeah. What are some of the sustainability initiatives that
0: you're implementing on your farm? Main sustainability, like we said, we've broken it down to three. labour crop, and the environment. Now labor, because even though we have 1.4 billion people, there are very few people coming to work on the farm. Then we want the economies, that is the income per acre that we can get. So we are growing mixed crops in the coffee plantation. We have coffee, timber, and pepper, and aracanate. And as far as environmental goes, it is to sustain the environment. And those days when we started off 20, 15, 18 years ago, it was lack of rain. So we started doing rainwater harvesting. All along the on the roadside. we got check dams. In the ravines, we started building up grass and having shrubs so that there's no washout of water. Jeffrey, we are on a hill. We are land may be 40-degree slope. So any any amount of water which falls on the top will only find its way around to the bottom of the hill. And even if you get 130 inches of rain, that is almost. 13 feet of water over your head. Just imagine we're getting that quantum of water. But in, in January onwards, the water quantity on the hill reduces. Mm-hmm. So we our aim was to see that we extend the, the rainfall period and the springs on the hill yep. and cut down the drought period. So we developed check dams, the soil conservation pits, and even trees and shrubs so that the roots would take the water down to the roots. And apart from that, is the mixed type of shade we have. We don't have a monoculture, though we have large number of silver oak because that is green wood. Hardwood we don't cut. We have fruits, fruit trees. We have large old Indian traditional trees so that the birds and the bees can thrive on them yeah. in the coffee estate. And since we do wash coffees, we have a problem with the pollution. So we harvest the water. We we bring it, bring the BOD, COD down to acceptable levels and then use the same effluent water that if it's only a natural effluent, it's only the pulp water, use it back for irrigation of our coffee estate. It's a huge, you can't talk about it in five minutes. Unless you see it, you will never believe what we did. This was way before the world started talking about environmental problems and carbon uh, secretion, which was needed. We did it. And we didn't do it for all the money that the West was going to pay for it. We did it because it was our livelihood. Mm -hmm. It was our
2: land. Mm -hmm. And it was what our natural surroundings needed. Mm. And to add on to that, agriculture is very labor intensive and we're dependent on unskilled labor. And with the generation of the cities coming in and the workers, children going in for higher education, nobody wants to live on a farm and work on a farm. So... What we had to do was we had to instill a feeling of loyalty in, into our workers. And how do you do that? You do that by upping the standard of living of our workers. If you come to the estate and you look at the labor lines that our workers live in, it's no longer single bedroom houses with no attached bathroom and electricity. These are two bedroom houses, one for the parents, one for the children, a living room, a kitchen, attached bathroom, running water, electricity, you name it, they get it. And we provide free education to our workers' children. We provide free medical facilities. You know, it's tremendous effort that we put in to ensure that the workers who come from the north of India want to come back to us the next year during season time. Coming to the environmental sustainability, India is very strict on no hunting. And we've taken it uh, another step forward When you are on the estate, you will be working in the coffee field and your neighbor will be a bison. Mm. Uh, Last year, in the month of June, July, we had an elephant on the property. We've started having uh, tiger sightings or leopard sightings on the property. So it's a coffee jungle. It's environment intertwined with business. And coming to the economies of it, well, we're all in a business. We have to make money to survive. So we focus on high-yielding, high-productive varietals of Arabica and Robustas. We have our own nurseries to prevent pests and diseases from coming in from outside. We don't want to contaminate our environment. We believe in traceability. So we allow our buyers and our friends in the coffee industry to come stay with us over the week, over a weekend, whatever time, time frame they want. They're allowed to walk around the farm do whatever they want, touch whatever they want, see whatever they want, and certify for themselves that what we are preaching is actually what we are giving them. That is our belief and our vision of sustainability at Balanur, Jeffrey. Given the fact that
1: India is a coffee-producing country as well as an increasingly um, vibrant coffee-consuming country, do you find yourselves having a lot of discussions, visits, interactions, negotiations with the coffee shop chains themselves or the large-scale roasters. Is there
0: a lot of dialogue um, between yourselves and them? Even before the the vibrancy in the coffee industry came, we used to encourage our old uh, coffee roasters, traditional roasters to come and visit us and see what we were doing. They weren't very encouraging. They came to see, get an idea whether the crop is going to be high Would you get a cheaper product? But now in the last years, Rowan has been developing the cafe roasters, the new roasters to come and visit us, see what we are doing, see the processing that we are doing. And every year we get about 10 to 15 people. We have a very, very dynamic and upcoming company and they are doing very,
2: very well. Mm. They may be the biggest, they may be the leaders right now Mm. in the coffee Mm. business. Right. I think the whole coffee industry, Jeffrey, is, is a very special industry. It's a relationship-based industry where the buyers actually care about the well-being of the growers. I've not come across an industry like this. You know, We have some buyers from uh, Sweden who certain percentage of profit of sale of coffee, they would, they would donate back to us for social welfare, mm-hmm. where we are able to renovate the old labor houses and uh, install newer ones uh, with state-of-the-art facilities. You know, it blows my mind at how great an industry we are in. It's a privilege, to be honest with you.
1: Wow. That's absolutely
2: fantastic. Back to the question of this interaction
1: between yourselves and the roasters and the large-scale coffee shop owners. What are their requests from you in terms of the expectations on flavor profiles and quality?
2: Till about four or five years ago, Uh Most of the coffee shops were looking at very good, clean, washed Arabicas and washed Robustas. They knew what they wanted on the flavor profiling. Uh, But from then, the the clientele in India started demanding and asking for something new and something different. They wanted experimental coffees. They wanted uh, coffees that tasted like apples and jackfruit and bananas in the cup. And that's when uh, our roasters and coffee buyers started reaching out to us and saying, hey, have you seen this experiment? Have you seen that experiment? What are your thoughts on longer fermentation, slower drying? So there's a very good dialogue between us as growers and uh, our our roaster partners who are then trying to explain to us what we should do now. You know, it's very easy for the roaster to say, hey, experiment on this. And if it works, we will buy the coffee. And if it fails, you're stuck with bad coffee. Mm. But we have been very fortunate that our roaster partners, whoever have told us to carry out an experiment, Mm. whether it succeeds or fails, they say we will take the entire lot. They are willing to take that risk with us. So coming to the flavor profiles, uh, we have over the years uh, developed the recipe that we should follow for each variety of coffee that we have. We have about 11 varieties of Arabica that we grow, Jeffrey. Uh, All our Arabicas are varietally sorted, varietally harvested, processed, and set aside. So we know the number of hours of fermentation uh, that each variety has to go through. And then we've been consistently following that recipe after it's been cupped and approved by our Q-grade cupper. The roasters who we are dealing with have been telling us, try to give us as consistent coffees as possible. And that is something uh, we have been able to do for our partners, which is why we've been able to develop this consistent relationship with them. Mm. Where things have started to to become very interesting is the experimental coffees, where we've started adding uh, yeast to the coffee. We've started drying it under certain leaves. Uh, trying to alter the flavor profiles, playing around with longer fermentation, uh, hiding it in the shade, you know, playing hide and seek with the sun, and and just gives you a very complex, fun coffee uh, to drink. And that is where we are right now with regards to the dialogues. Jeffrey, just to add in,
0: but even then, our major source of coffee is our traditional conservative coffee that we grow. That is the wash coffee. We are making sure that our facilities are large enough and we can consistently produce the same cup of coffee year after year. So looking forward, what is the future for Indian specialty coffee? From the grower side, if the weather pattern is good, we have a great potential. It is just the shortage of production because of uh, unseasonal rain. But if you're looking at the market, it's going to grow. There's no limit to it. We produce such a small quantity of coffee. India may have to import coffees to keep our market fully fed. People should be also aware that India is a very value-based consuming country. Uh, it is not a luxury product-purchasing country. Yeah. So that being the case, uh, if you are in the right track, the scope is enormous. Yeah.
2: You would never have ever, ever imagined that you would have coffee training centers, coffee workshops taking place day in and day out. You know, every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, some cafe or the other is conducting a workshop on some different method of brewing coffees. uh, How do you cup coffees? They're trying to teach the general public how to enjoy black coffee. And trying to get the mindset out of drinking milk and sugar-based coffees. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's really exciting for me as as a youngster. You go to these coffee shops. You have shops that sell coffee equipment. Mm. And it's packed with people. Mm. Uh, Just coming there, getting their hands on all the equipment, playing around. You see coffee being brewed, tasted. The smiles on people's faces when you say, you know this coffee you can taste caramel custard and they're like no you can't taste caramel custard and then a big debate takes place on what are the flavors that you're pulling out so for me i'm very excited about it Mm. from a consumer's angle of it and uh, i think sky's the limit right Mm -hmm. now we are just about touching the surface of the coffee industry Mm. in india Mm. we've got tremendous tremendous potential Ashok and
1: Rowan, thanks so much again for joining us here on Fifth
2: Wave. Thank you. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank Thank you. you for having us.
1: It's clear from our conversation here today and with the other industry leaders we spoke to across the series that there is an immense opportunity for Indian coffee, both mainstream and specialty grade. But the real challenge will lie in production, being able to keep up with the rapid pace of demand. And as with other coffee growing regions around the world, Indian farmers are increasingly threatened by changing weather patterns brought on by the climate crisis. Yet passion, commitment, and the drive to produce world-class Indian coffees is so evident. Given the rapid economic growth and burgeoning middle class within the most populous country on the planet, I believe the Indian population thirst for better coffee and the rest of the world's love affair with Indian coffee is only just beginning. And I look forward to a bright future ahead for this vibrant and fascinating market. And that's all for this week's 5th Wave podcast. Please subscribe to the 5th Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this show, please recommend us to a friend or colleague. If you want to stay informed, visit worldcoffeeportal.com to get access to all the latest global coffee news, including the weekly coffee dose, our newsletter collecting all the big coffee news stories of the week. This episode was produced in the one and only Serenity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, James Harper of Filter Productions and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And this week's song in collaboration with The Coffee Music Project is Head in the Clouds by Carly Pearl. And until next time, stay safe, stay passionate and stay caffeinated.